0: It's good to be around human beings again. Um, Not that these guys aren't human, but uh, I'm a very extroverted person, and uh, by this point in the academic year, I would have been lecturing from September all the way almost to the end in the U.S. So I'm just excited to have the community together. I think that's actually kind of providential to be able to say today for me, because I think this text, and even the talk that Lee gave yesterday about um, the covenant and and the Old Testament, really is about... The nature of community, and the way that the gospel is not just a good message for you and you and you and you that we then collect together. But the gospel is a message about how we have been baptized into a new community. And together we have what we did not have before we came together, and that is union with Christ, everlasting life, hope, peace, redemption, salvation, and everything that the gospel promises. And I think. That's as much about me individually as it is about us together. And so my reading of Ephesians today is going to focus on that. There are a number of different ways I think you could go with Ephesians 1. It is 14 verses long. It is one sentence in Greek. There are some people here taking Greek with me. <laughs> on the semester brave souls. Shame on the rest of you. <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's a passion of mine. So it is one sentence in, in Greek with 14 verses. I sort of feel like we could focus... A whole sermon on just one of those verses each at a time. So, what I'm going to do is speak broadly about two aspects of the text as a whole, and then I'm going to focus in on one verse that I think is pertinent to us as a community of faith together as we grow in the gospel. And before I do that, I'm just going to pray uh, that God's Spirit would be with us and not only around us and near us, but inside us, bring us together in unity in the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this community. Thank you for life and breath and all that you give us and sustain us with. But most of all, thank you for redemption through Jesus Christ. A redemption that is not mine alone, that is not any of ours individually alone, but is ours together as the one people of God, bought with the blood of Jesus, brought together to be yours, to be your people. And so I pray that you would knit us together, as Paul says. Even though we're not a church here, in some sense we are part of the mystical body of Christ. Knit us together as one. Even in the midst of all diversity and disagreements and imperfections, make us like the perfect Christ through each other. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen that. Ephesians 1 has been a text that has historically, I think, been divisive, like many other texts in the church. This is a text when I was, you know, I got saved when I was about 22, and this was a favorite text of the church that I was at at the time, comprised of mostly 20 and 30-year-old bearded, Calvinist, (laughs) pipe-smoking Men with usually a tattoo here, a tattoo here. If you're really, really cool, you have a tattoo here. And we would say, this is a text about how some people are saved and others aren't. To the glory of God. <laughs> <laughs> and then the more Wesleyan side, right, which is a historic interpretation, you may hold up. we said that's what this text is about, individual election. Notice that predestination is only one of the many things listed there. But we really liked that. And so would folks on, that's what this text is about. And then the <laughs> Wesleyan guys would say, now ho- now just uh, hold on a second. <laughs> now, what about free will? Okay? And then we would come at each other. This text is about, I can't keep that voice up, but this text is about how God foreknew and chose us based on his foreknowledge of us choosing him. And then the reform guys would just go. Come back to me when you've converted to my... We'd argue back and forth. And now I taught an undergraduate uh, university with mostly young, kind of broad church, but lots of evangelical uh, students. And inevitably, there would be an entire class where we would sit and argue Calvinist for something. Is this a text about individual predestination or God's foreknowledge that we'll choose Him? But the common thread between both of those themes is the assumption that the text, first and foremost, is speaking to individuals, right? It's speaking to you and you and, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, or not, right? But it's not speaking about a group of people. And so the first thing that I want to challenge is that idea, but that is such a prevalent way, an individualistic way to come to the Bible, that it's about me and Jesus, not about us and Jesus. What I'm going to argue with you today is that who I am, when I'm in Christ, is now inseparable who we are together. When you are baptized and believe in Christ, Paul's going to say to in the entire letter, it is no longer you alone, singular, who live, but us together who belong as one body. And apart from each other, we're just a collection of ligaments and joints together in a box but we're not a body working together. Paul's going to argue when we are together, when we're baptized into Christ, we're one body in Christ, both mystically across the world and locally. And that's going to be one of the themes that comes out. So listen to Ephesians um, real quick and just focus on on this us, not me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, right, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose me in particular. No, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, if you keep going down, it says we have redemption. We have redemption in his blood. So that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you start to realize that this is a text written not to you and you and you and you and you as you take your study Bible and decide whether you want to go to this church or that church. This is a text to us. There is no me apart from us once we become believers in Christ. We're still individuals. We still matter individually. But the sense that Paul will have is rupture in the body is like ripping off ligaments and joints. It is not some incidental sort of, you well, know, oh, go here, go here over there I won't, I will. It's, it's a deep thing. But whenever I read this text, not only do I see individualism come out of the history of interpretation. This is about me, not us. I see a focus on us apart from Christ. So here's the other thing. Whenever you read it, first you're not going to hear, I have been chosen, I have been blessed, I have been redeemed, I have been bought by the blood. You're going to hear, we have been redeemed, we have been bought. The other side of it is, all of this is true in Christ. So it's not like any other community in the world. Sure, you could belong to a yoga group and have great fellowship. Whatever you do in a yoga group. Stretching and (laughs) dancing, I don't know. Um, So that's a great group to belong to that you can tell I do not belong to. (laughs) Nor will I ever. Um, But with the church, it's a different thing. Why is the church the place where we have redemption in His blood, we have eternal life, where we're sealed with the Holy Spirit? Because it is in Christ. It is Christ who makes the Christian community different from every other community. This is why, as we seek to even do ministry broader beyond the Christian faith. We must maintain the exclusivity of Jesus as the saving way of salvation for all people. And that is what the church is called to do. Listen, let me read the text and emphasize this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Right, and we'll keep going. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. See that, it's the choosing of Jesus to be for us that precedes anything about us. It's the redemption in Jesus that precedes anything that comes after. It all starts with Jesus, it all ends with Jesus, and it's all about Jesus. And so when we read the text, like either my Calvinist or Wesleyan friends, we say, well, this is about foreknowledge, or this is about me choosing God or God choosing me. We forget that A... This is a text about us and the community. right? And this is a text that's predicated on the truth that everything we have only matters because it is in Jesus Christ. And apart from that, we have nothing. But every time I read this text in a communal setting, there's some pushback. Surely it's more about individuals or these sort of things. And I think every time I come to this text, I, I don't think about predestination, I don't think about adoption, I think about a person that I knew named Diane. Right? You say, there's no Diane in the text. That's true. You could do a concordance search. and Indeed, there's no Diane in the whole New Testament. <laughs> I um, but I think about Diane when I read this, and I want us to hear this illustration about Diane and then avoid a Diane hermeneutic of Ephesians, a Diane interpretive lens. And you may know people like Diane. If your name is Diane, I'm sorry. You can feel more in this. In my early 20s, before I became a Christian, I was part of a community that toured around and, you know, played music all over, mostly East Coast of the United States. And one of our friends from this circle of friends was, was Diane. It? This is not her real name, of course. Right. It was Demi. But we'll use <laughs> Diane. <to speak. laughs> we'll just call her Diane. <laughs> For the sake of, uh, you know, disclosing her real <laughs> name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So Diane uh, would do this thing where she would turn, do you know people like this, turn every conversation into a conversation about herself. So you would be, just picture you're at a coffee shop, and you're all sitting, it's all relaxed, it's kind of everybody's chatting, and nobody's really loud, but together the kind of noise washes over you. It's, It's relaxing and beautiful. You've got your chai tea or whatever weird stuff you're drinking, and you're all together. And all of a sudden, someone's having a conversation. And they say at our table of five or six people, uh, hey, you know, I, I saw a great concert the other night at, uh, at the Fleet Center. It was, was great. We saw um, you know, Paul McCartney open. And Diane would say, a concert? Did you know I sing? And she'd go, that reminds me that this week my professor told me that I'm better than Whitney Houston. And, she, and you'd go, oh, here she. And the problem with this was she would do this same talk every time we got together. And we go here goes Diane, and Diane. But the worst part of it is, or the best part of it, depending if you like weird things, was that (laughs) Diane would stand up, and say, "You know, I've been told I sing Ave Maria better than anybody has ever told it. This is—I'm not not making this up. This is real." And you say, "Okay, thanks, Diane." And you knew it was going to come right after (laughs) she
1: said that.
0: Thank you, Diana. No. <laughs> and you'd be like, I don't even know Latin. Speak the language of the people, Diane, Debbie. Um, <laughs> and the problem is, to, this is the issue. Just pull the when you use an illustration fact, that. People be like. He preached a sermon. It was about Diane. (laughs) And people will be like, who is she? So when when I see kind of that individualistic kind of thing, I think of, just to be absurd for a moment, I think of this Diane hermeneutic where we come to the text and be like, surely it must be about me. It's got to be. I've been told I'm wonderful, my life so Diane would do that. This morning on Facebook, I saw kind of a crass actor, this guy Kevin Smith. He, he did the movies for around, what's it called now? All these kind of indie movies in the 90s. <coughs> Horrible heart attack. But he wrote this great post about how he thought he was going to die, but at the end of his life, which he ended up living, he felt satisfied and grateful for all he had. It was just kind of a mature post for someone who's been really crass, almost spiritual in nature. And then underneath... Some dude, like Kevin2134 on Facebook says, <laughs> you know what would be good for you? To become a vegan. And then he posts, here's me pre-vegan, here's me after vegan. And everyone's like, seriously, Kevin? And the whole 30 he posts after vegan. were like, this is not about you. This is about this other guy who you know was in the hospital with serious illness.
1: Yeah.
0: But we have this, I'm not saying it's that sinister when we come to the text, but we have this idea that It really needs to be first and foremost about me, and then as I come into the community, it becomes about us. But if we look at the fact that Ephesians is not ever using, in this first section, individual pronouns, it's incorporating us together using plural pronouns, we and us, and together in Christ, it cannot be first and foremost about us. It is in some sense about the death of us through the communal reality that the gospel brings. That whoever I am is inseparable from who we are together, and that who we are together makes no difference in the world unless who we are together is in Christ Jesus, united to Christ, made alive. My daughter is, was rushing to the hospital uh, this morning, I found, just now, um, and, you know, you think, you know, sometimes think, well, oh, maybe the gospel's a metaphor, and I would submit to you that the gospel is not good news if it doesn't have an answer for uh, the deepest, darkest moments of life that says death doesn't have the last word. Sickness doesn't have the last word. Jesus has the last word. And that's the end of it. And that is good news to the world. (laughs) Oops. Sorry. That's my inner Billy Graham. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But I was just thinking to myself, I'm going to, you know, race out of here after, so if you see me leave and stuff like that, I'm want to pick up the car and you go to the hospital and stuff, why would I share that with you? Well, it's, it's kind of a burden to you now, precisely. That your burdens are my burdens and that my burdens are your burdens. And that as we bear those burdens together, we become more like the God who is burden-bearing love. That is the gospel that's going to change the world. When someone says, you matter so much to me that apart from us together, we have nothing. And that's one of the things I think is present, right, in the United Church. It's present in all churches. But to the extent that that seed grows in this community, we will be transformed together. Not I will be transformed. Not you, 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 an individual transformation. A transformation that occurs through love. This is the last thing I'm going to say. So Ephesians 1, it's about not me, but it's about us. It's about us in Christ. And here's the last thing I'm going to say. I'm going to focus in on verse 4 just because I think it's the best verse. No other reason. God God is behind it all. He inspired it all, so I can do that. (laughs) Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And do you notice how the next verse starts after that? And there weren't originally verse numbers in. Typically that parcel has been taken uh, that prepositional phrase in love to refer to the predestination after it. In love you predestined us. Right. And it's hard to even say what does in love <coughs> mean? It's a translation of, of a Greek phrase that literally you could say means just in love. But what does that mean? And here's what I'm, I'm going to suggest it means. So Here's my interpretation of the verse. He has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him by means of love. That en agapa in Greek. In love, that we should be holy and blameless in love. Okay, that's a bit vague. What does that mean? But that we should be holy and blameless by means of love. Right? And so what does that love look like? Well, if you look at, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you and someone else is going to preach it. In Ephesians 5, uh, you're going to have be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so to to be transformed and be made holy and blameless in love is really, I think, to be made transformed into the image of Jesus by means of living in love and by means of belonging to the love of God. So in one sense, we already are holy and blameless because we're in Christ. But I would submit to you that the fact that the verses after that, 5 3 through 21, tell us how to live. They're about how to live a holy life. God wants to not only declare us holy, He wants us to participate in His holiness together. He doesn't just want to say, I'll regard you as love, He wants us to embody love. He wants us to look to the love of Jesus. And say, in that love, I've been saved. In that love, I have security. In that love, eternal life is mine now. But also through the community, he wants us to become in our inmost being holy. He wants us to become in our inmost being well, blameless by means of love. And in the context of Ephesians, the way that we do that is through each other. Right? If there's not another to love, love is easy. If there's no burden to bear, it's easy to say you should bear someone's burdens. It's a lot harder when you're bearing the burdens of someone who carries a lot of weight. And I would guess that there's probably a lot of burdens in this room. There's physical burdens, there's emotional burdens, there's burdens that each of us have that we don't want other people to know about. And there's a level of appropriateness with that and trust. So I'm not saying we just, here's all my burdens. But in the sense that we invite each other in and we live in love, we walk in love together, we will become like the God who is loving. And that, I think, is one thing that we miss when we say, is it about me? For us, is this a Diane situation? <laughs> For her, it is. No, this is a situation about not me, but about us, about who we are in Christ. We will mess that up continually, even when we do love, right? It is not, I used to love you until. It is even in spite of everything that you represent or have done to me and to other people. The gospel calls us to be transformed by love, to be a community of love, and to live out that love and to become that love to the world. And I think that is a message I would certainly die for. There's all sorts of theological propositions that I'd be like, Calvinistic big election, eh, maybe. I kinda like Bart better, but maybe. Wesleyan, yeah, that's a potential view of this. It's about him foreknowing but a message that says we are transformed by love to transform the world through love as a people. Mm. That even though you, you, none of us belong, we all belong. See that? It's not about whether you're Jew or Gentile or slave or free or Greek, Paul says, put that into context here. It's about coming together and saying the power of divine love has saved us and the power of divine love is saving us now, is making us like the God who is love. That is a message that's going to break in like an apocalypse of joy into the world and into the church. And so um, my prayer is just for us today that this would be a text about us. That this semester would be a semester where we come together and we learn to bear the burdens of one another and become like the God who has borne our burden on the cross. It doesn't mean perfectionism. That's not what blamelessness and holiness mean when it's talked about ethically. It means a person who lives in upright relationship with God, seeking to be obedient to his will. It's used often Paul in this way. Can we be that community together? I've already found that through the the loving kindness of people here that have, of you know, all of you, really, it's starting, right? And we need to be that for each other, so that at the end of this thing, there's transformation, not just degrees, and there's there's a real substantial gospel happening here. And that makes me joyful. Yeah. Um, that, so let me, let me pray um, pray Lord, thanks for uh, all these brothers and sisters. Thanks for the fact that um, apart from Christ, we didn't know you. We didn't have um, eternal life, but not only that, we didn't truly know what it means to love until we saw the love of Jesus. And now we want to become that love to the world. We want to embody that love. And we want to, when we disagree, when we hurt each other, the healing power of the divine love of God, which is your very nature, Lord, be the thing that substantially binds us together as one. And in that unity, give us great peace, joy, and let that be our relevance to the world. Not any other theory or any other way the way of the cross, the way of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.